Yeah, you guys can grab a seat. Hey, so welcome to RUF. Uh, thanks for coming out on a cold night. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to we're getting into our series in Exodus this semester. Let me pray for us first. Father, I pray that tonight you would remind us of how deep your love for us is. Uh, Lord, a lot of us come here and we're being honest. We, we've heard, some of us have heard a lot about that love, but it doesn't feel very real to us. Or it doesn't feel um, like the heartbeat of our lives, like we talked about last week. And Father, I pray that you would take our time together tonight and you would meet us in our neediness, that you would meet us in our addiction, that you would meet us in our doubt, in the places where we, we've we heard the gospel and we believe your word, but if we're being honest, it, there's a huge disconnect um, in our lives and the way that we live and have just do our weeks and do our days. And so Lord, I pray that you would take our time together tonight and that you would overwhelm us with your love, that you are a God who cares for us, that you are a God who sees us and knows us, even the parts of our lives that we keep hidden from one another, uh, the parts of our lives that we're ashamed uh, to own or to admit or to talk about. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us in all of these places and that you would comfort us, that you would reassure us and affirm the great love that you have for us, that you would give us hope for those of us who come either despairing or feeling especially cynical, either about ourselves or about the world, that you would be the lifter of our heads and that you would shine your face upon us and that you would remind us of your covenant promises that you accomplished for once and for all through your son, Jesus, that you are our God and we are your people. And so tonight we come to you as your people. We, we look to your word. We look for your voice. We look for your wisdom and grace in our lives. And we ask for it. We put these things with Christ in your name. Amen. All right, so tonight we're, we're getting into, we're calling our series Storied, um, the Gospel According to Exodus. And tonight I just want to introduce us basically to the book of Exodus and really to this theme. Whoop. Hang with me. There we go. Uh, to the theme of what we're doing this semester. Um, and to do that, we're going to look at Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25. Just a little short passage to kind of set uh, the theme of where we're going. <coughs> Exodus 2. 23 to 25, send your hand out or you can follow along on your phone or your Bible. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. In verse 25, and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That theme of story, there were years ago, so um, I'm a fairly big hip-hop fan, but Lil Wayne's been for the last decade probably my favorite rapper. And there's a story when he went to prison, I think he went to prison on gun charges, I'm not, I can't exactly remember, but there was a time, he did this interview with Rolling Stone right after, where they were asking him about his time in prison, and he basically said, I, I, sort of, I read a bunch of biographies, and he said, I read the Bible for the first time. And when he was talking about it, he said something that really struck me. His finger hand out, he said this. He said, I also read the Bible for the first time. It was deep. I liked the parts where some character was once this, but he ended up being that. Like he'd be dissing Jesus, and then he ends up being a saint. That was cool. 
And I love that. It's a short quote. It's not super profound. But I love it because he's getting into something that we're going to be talking about all semester, which is this. He's getting something about the Bible that sometimes we as Bible people don't get. And it's that the Bible at, at the heart is really is a story. It's a story of God's love for a people, a sinful people in a broken world, and what he's doing, what he's done for them, what he's doing in them, and where he plans on taking them. And the tension for us is we often, as Christians, don't live... First of all, we don't know how to interpret the Old Testament within that grand story of redemption. And then second of all, if you're like me, you, you don't live in that story. That, that story doesn't control the reality of your life, how you think about yourself, how you think about God, how you think about others. And what I want to do tonight is kind of that this is the theme of Exodus. The gift of Exodus or the gospel according to Exodus for us is that it is own grand display, the story of our salvation. That come, it, it begins in Exodus, God's involvement with a broken people in a foreign land, and it's culminated and finished in the work of Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about that all semester. But I just want to talk to you about why, why that idea of story is so important tonight. <clears throat> just three things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about the necessity of story. Second, I want to talk about the power of story. And then lastly, I want to talk about finding your story in God's story. That's what we're doing tonight. Necessity of story, power of story, and then finding your story in God's story. First, think with me just for a little bit about the necessity of story. Again, the minute you open the book of Exodus, one thing jumps out at you immediately, and it's this. You're in a story. It opens with the names of people, how they got to Egypt, why they're in Egypt, what their life in Egypt has been about, and then we get to our passage, what God is doing, is going to do about it. But from the moment you open it, it is a, you're, you're, you're immersed into, thrown into a story, a story of slavery, a story of rescue, a story of, of God's presence leading his people in the wilderness of, of trial and temptation, and the story of God ultimately bringing them into a promised land. And part of the tension that you're going to have to, we're going to have to get used to in this book, part of what's happening that we have to get our minds around is part of their tension and part of their pain is there really are these two different stories at work in their hearts. Uh, this, the question is like, who were they? Were they God's chosen people or were they a less than people who were reduced to nothing more, fit for nothing more than slavery? And this is going on in the hearts of God's people. Where is God? Why is he let them get to this place? Why is he letting the Egyptians oppress them like he is? But the first point is simply it's impossible to live. Here's what I want you to see is it's impossible to live without a story. I love there's a quote, and I don't know who said it. It's anonymous. But they said this. People are like good books. They have a spine and a story. That we all come in here tonight with a story. Whether we know it or not, you cannot live without one. It, it literally is it's philosophically impossible to live without a story. Like the moment you're born in this world and get old enough to make sense of things, you're, you're trying to answer those three big questions, right? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And however it is that you answer those, you, you've, you've created for yourself a narrative or a story. It's, it's philosophically impossible to, to live without one, but it's also personally impossible to live without one. Because from the moment you're born, things happen to you and you do things, right? Good, bad, indifferent, fun, incredible, traumatic, tragic, all of it. And you begin, you come to Carolina with some kind of story that's in progress, right? It, it's impossible, both philosophically and personally. Uh, Paul Miller, he, he writes in Love Walked Among Us. Here's how he says it. It's on your handout. <clears throat> he says this. He says, some think we have moved beyond a, prim- beyond a primitive belief in sacred writings, But most of us have some kind of scripture or guide that we follow. In the confusion of life, people look for a word of authority, 
for information that will bring clarity and direction to our lives. Some watch the news, read the newspaper, or check their horoscopes. University professors refer to the literature almost with reverence. Psychologists look to Freud. Revolutionaries look to Marx. Millions of Americans look to Oprah. We search for a word that will order the chaos of life, a word that will make sense of the brokenness. Each of us is shaped by a script, whether it's a book, a movie, or a therapist. The search for words of certainty is so pervasive that one suspects it is pre-programmed. Einstein reflected that human beings dance to a mysterious tune intoned in the distance by an invisible player. But Jesus danced to the words of what we call the Bible, which is a living letter from his heavenly father. The words of scripture shaped his life. And so the first question is, that means you came here tonight with some sort of story that is controlling how you see yourself, how we see each other, how we see God himself. And the question, the first question for us is, what story are you living in? Is it the story of the gospel? Is it the story of scripture? Or is it something else? So first, the necessity. But then second thing with me about the power, because this is where we get to the competing stories a little bit more. Not only do we have to have a story, but those stories have incredible power in our lives. To shape us, to kind of direct and guide us. They do that in profound ways. And I think what's interesting as we get into Exodus is thinking about how part of the Israelites' enslavement was the Egyptians' fear of losing their own narrative. It was their fear that they were going to be such a different people driven by such a different story that it was going to, it was going to kind of lead to the downfall of their way of life and of what, what their culture was. And it's interesting because part of their fear is that Israel had kept their own kind of distinctness because they had such a different story. A story of a God who redeemed them, who, who made covenant with their forefathers, who was with them, who was uh, present and doing things in their lives. And it led them to lead, lead these very different lives from the lives of the Egyptians around them. But I want you to see this point. that The story has power. Whatever story we're living in, it has power to shape what we do, how we think, how we act, how we feel. That stories have incredible power in our lives. This came home to me. I don't know if you had a chance to see one of my favorite movies of this last year. It was a movie called Three Identical Strangers. I don't know if any of you saw it or not. It's fascinating. Basically, the story, the long story short, I'm going to a little bit ruin the film, but it's still worth seeing, is this, uh, this, it begins with this guy, Bobby, and he goes off to college. And as soon as he moves in, everyone that meets him says, Eddie, so good to see you. Eddie, so glad you're back. And he's like, I'm Bobby. They're like, Eddie, classic Eddie. And he's like, what is happening? He finds out he has a twin. He like this. They call this guy, Eddie. They figure out they are literally twins. It makes the news as it makes the news. There's a thir- there's a triplet that finds out. These, I look just like these guys. Oh, we are triplets lost at birth. And so they begin to see themselves entirely different. We had brothers we never knew about. We had a mom. We shared a mom. We don't know who she is. As the story unfolds, it, it, it turns out the, the twist part is they were part of this social science experiment where they separated triplets at birth and put them into three different classes of families, a lower class family, a middle class family, and an upper class family. But my whole point is, can you imagine being one of these triplets and finding this out at 19 years old, 18 years old? It's a story that kind of changes everything. First, by learning you have these brothers that you never knew about. And then second, by learning you were part of a social experiment that was pretty messed up. One of the brothers who was in the upper class family who had a broken relationship with his dad ended up killing himself. And that in itself, the story of even our families has huge power 
in our lives. Let me, let me try to do this. Two kind of examples that I think are, re- are relevant to us. Two scripts or stories that I think are common that we're tempted to live in that really war against our understanding of ourselves within the gospel story. Here's the first. Let's just call it the romance script. Okay? Here's how it goes. This script goes like this. Your, your life begins when you meet the one, your forever person. And in fact, that could happen anywhere, right? It could happen on a chance encounter at Einstein Bagel. It could happen at a party, summer vacation. It could happen, hopefully not on Tinder. Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. Ideally, it happens in college. Not too soon, but soon enough, because none of us want to be that weird cat person. And if it doesn't happen for us, something is probably wrong with us, right? We begin thinking maybe I have bad breath or a disastrous personality, one of the two, maybe both. Uh, we think of singleness. This is like we think of singleness like that yellow starburst, where it's like no one really wants that, but I guess maybe some people have to eat it, right? And we sort of think about ourselves within this script, and so we're perpetually on edge. We're disappointed. We're really worried. We're anxious. And can we talk for a second about how not the gospel that is, right? Because the gospel says you already are loved. You were made by God for Himself. And no other person, hear me clearly, no other person, even a spouse, can bear the weight of your identity. God alone can. He made you for himself, and he knows you at your worst, and he loves you at his best. And there's no other love, no other love, that can rival the deep love the Father has for us. And that when you begin to live in the gospel story, then you're free to, like, date and break up, right? Like, your your identity isn't, the weight of your identity isn't tied to finding the one, which we could talk a long time about how unbiblical an idea that is, because marriage is hard, y'all. If you're not married, let me tell you, marriage is incredible and also really hard. And it's about loving that person with the love of Jesus. And you can't begin to do that or even live with any sort of security or peace if you don't know first that your story, your story is being one who is loved to the end by Jesus. And it changes. It changes the way you date. It changes the way you do relationship, right? I'll talk about one more. <clears throat> the second one we could just call the American Dream script. Uh, well, here's what I mean. It goes like this. Uh, you go to college, then maybe grad school, and the whole goal is to get a job, a good job, climb the ladder. So typically, if you're like me, that you can pursue a lifestyle that allows the kind of house that you want, the kind of clothes that you want, the kind of car that you want, to live in the kind of neighborhood you want, send your kids to the kind of schools you want, have a vacation home that you would like in a certain place that you would want. Uh, have the kind of Apple products that you would like, you know, a life that is full of comfort. And we pursue this and we pursue it. And we, of course, maybe we'll give some money away and we'll support an RUF intern or two, or we'll do, you know, be nice with our money. But the whole goal is a lifestyle that is comfortable. And, you know, I'm as guilty of, in ministry, I'm still as guilty of wanting, being tempted to live in the script. That first and foremost is not the kingdom, but my own comfort. First and foremost is what, is what makes me feel good, what I like, what tastes good. Um, and again, can we talk about how m- not the gospel this is? Because Jesus shows up with something very different. Uh, and Jesus, in fact, is the pattern of what he calls us to. He, he didn't hold on to the comforts of heaven, 
but he came down for us and gave everything, even his life. I love the way that Paul says it in Second Corinthians 8. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In other words, Jesus uses his position of privilege and riches, and he gives it to us who are poor, that we might know him, that we might be brought into his kingdom, that we might be restored to what life was supposed to be. And I think it's interesting how the American dream competes, but it really does pale in comparison to the dream of the kingdom. Uh, it's inter- I mean, it's funny, you know, we just celebrated MLK. I think about MLK was someone who did this, right? He tried to wake us up that the pursuit of the American dream cost a lot of people a lot of things. And so he sort of courageously entered into preaching a different story, the story of the kingdom, to get us to wake up to the reality of the story that we as Christians, this is the irony of MLK, is we as the church should have known better. But we needed someone to come along and preach the true story we were supposed to live, that we might be invited into the dream of the kingdom and repent of the American dream. Um, So first, the necessity of story. Second, the power of story. And then the last thing that we see is finding your story in God's story. Up until this point, we've talked mostly about the Israelites, what they were doing, what they were feeling, what life was like for them. But I love this passage because there are four verbs that change everything for you and for me. Four verbs that God does, four things that God does that change everything. Here they are quickly. First, God heard. Our God is a God who hears our cries. He hears our shouts of anger. He hears our sobs of pain. In other words, God heard their pain, their suffering wasn't lost in him. He heard, he hears. We're just saying, hear our cry, O Emmanuel. Heal us. Hear our cry. And the promise of God that is he does. He's a God who hears our cries. Second, God remembered. Now, this is interesting because it's not like he'd ever forgotten anything. He'd never forgotten them. But what this means is he remembered his covenant. He remembered it was time to act upon his promises. In his infinite wisdom, it was time. But the promise there is they hadn't slipped his mind. We don't ever slip the mind of God. That he is so focused on us and what he's doing in our lives that we, he never forgets us. And in fact, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He remembers us. He is, he is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. This came home to me a little bit. My wife, yesterday, our kids are all in um, public schools and uh, my oldest kids are in Creighton. And uh, there's a little prayer group that we learned about last year where this moms of kids who go to Creighton and who go to Southwell Ford where my younger kids go. And all they do is they get together Tuesday mornings and they just pray for their kids. You pray for each other's kids. But then you just start praying through the yearbook for kids who just are at these schools. And so my wife, Alyssa, she gets there this morning and she said, oh, Eloise, your, your uh, third child, the one who gets lost in the mix the most, right? The true middle child of our family. Uh, and she, they said, we just prayed for her last week. And Alyssa, I mean, she was telling me and she was still crying. She was like, the fact that they knew my daughter's name and were praying for her was amazing. And I just thought, this is the kind of God that we serve, though, right? A God who never forgets, he knows our names. He knows more than our names. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And he never forgets us. He remembers his promises to us. Third, God saw. He wasn't blind to. He didn't turn his eyes away from the struggles of his people in other words, his eyes are always on his people, and his people are always the apple of his eye. He looks at us with eyes of compassion 
with eyes of joy, with eyes of love. He saw their suffering. And the question for you is, do you know that God has seen and sees every hard part of your story? And he cares. Sometimes he's moved, if we can believe that Jesus is the expression of God, sometimes he's moved to tears at the things that we go through, at the things that we face. He sees. And then the last thing, the most interesting thing is it says God knew. Now, what's interesting is like, knew what? Like, if you've been around Christianity long enough, you're like, yeah, God's, he's, he's knows everything. He's omniscient. Is there anything God doesn't know? Now, what's fascinating is that Hebrew word for know is much, much more than we think about. Uh, it said that Adam knew his wife. There, that word is full of intimacy. It's full of embrace. It's full of understanding. And God is saying God knew. And this is where we start to get the, the first promise of Jesus. How does God know? How does God know what it's like to be us or be with us? And this is where we start to get the first promise of Jesus in Exodus. And the story of Exodus, we could really sum it down. We're going to work it out this semester. We can really sum it down. To, there are four parts. This is what he knows. He knows our slavery. He knows the rescue we desperately need that we can't give ourselves. And he knows the wilderness of trial and temptation that we live in a fallen world. And he knows where he is taking us, the promised land. That's the book of Exodus. Slavery, this is what we're going to do all semester. Slavery, this is the pattern. Slavery, rescue, wilderness, and promised land. And y'all, that's our story. That's the story of why Jesus came. To rescue us from our slavery to sin. To lead us, to guide us in sanctification through our trials and temptations. And ultimately to take us to be with himself as he has already been risen and is preparing a place for us. And here's what I want you to see is whether you know it or not, you're looking for a story that can hold every part of you, right? This is, this is how I want to kind of close. You and I are looking for a story that makes sense of every part of our lives. We're looking for a story that can hold the weight of who we are. Everything from our personality to our sexuality, everything from our hopes and dreams to our struggles and fears, every part of us, we're looking for a story from our family history to our dating life to the traumatic, tragic things that have happened to you. We're looking for a story that can hold it all. And and what I'm saying to you is the gift of Exodus is God has given us a story that is ultimately it, it begins with his people in Egypt and it ends with Jesus, the risen Jesus, preparing a place for us. And we are part of that story. And the struggle for you and for me is that we forget it. You woke up this morning and you forgot it. Another story took over. You were going, you were like me, you were at Starbucks today and you forgot it. Even as you're working in your sermon, you forgot it. And you and I are tempted every day to forget our place, to forget who we are, to forget the story that can hold all of us. Uh, So we go back to Egypt and we forget the God who's rescued us. And we forget what it means to belong to him and to belong to his kingdom, to his family. I'll close with this. One of my favorite scenes in movie history is a scene in Cinderella Man. And if you know that movie at all, it's where James Braddock's wife, uh, I think she was played by Renee Zellweger, classic 90s film. This was 2000s, but classic 90s actress. And so there's a scene where he's going to the big fight with Max Baer. And like everyone thinks he's going to be crushed by Max Baer. Like he stands no chance at all. And it's the night before the fight. And it's just the two of them. They're outside in the backyard. And she sits down with him in the way that we long for our significant other to talk to us. And she says this 
She says, James Braddock, you just remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Bergen, the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and the kid's hero. And you are the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. And man, you can feel it in that moment. You're like, I'm ready to go fight. My wife talked to me like that. I can face anything. I mean, you would feel that in a moment at least, right? <clears throat> but I think about that scene because I think about this is what you and I need. We need it tonight. We need it every day. We need to hear that sort of gospel story proclaimed over us. So here's my best shot. Ready? You just remember who you are. You're a slave to sin, but has been set free by the rescuing grace of Jesus. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. I don't care where you are tonight. He promises to be with you. He promises to guide you through every step of the wilderness. Some of you are in a place right now that you never thought you would be. You've never been before. And he promises if you seek him, if you ask him to lead you through every step of that wilderness of life in a fallen world. And he loves his people all the way home. He loves us all the way to the place where there are no more tears or fears or death or sadness or suffering. And not even the gates of hell themselves can prevail against his love. That is who you are. You belong to Jesus. And that is our story. And let's live in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your love is the only love that will never fail us. I pray tonight, Lord, I just pray for myself and for my friends that you would center us. Lord, if we don't yet know your redeeming, rescuing grace, that you would begin with us. Draw us to yourself. Bring us home to you. For those of us who, who know you, who belong to you, we claim you. Would you remind us, especially those of us, my friends, who are in the wilderness place tonight, where life is so confusing and frustrating, would you remind us that you are present even when we don't feel it? Would you help us to be that to one another? And Lord, would you make us a people who live within your story, the story of salvation, the story of the gospel? Would you root us in that so deeply? And I pray that for us, uh, for us all tonight. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, speaking of stories, we're going to sing at the doxology a storied song. I've got to see it. There we go. I'll lead us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, Thanks so much for coming out very well. Dude, thank you. Great job. Thanks. Yeah, thanks.